Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 326 of Sexology Podcast, where we explore topics related to sex, relationship, and pleasure. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, I'm very excited to have Dr. Shamiko Thorpe with us. Dr. Thorpe is an award-winning sexuality educator, researcher, and international speaker who focuses on the sexual well-being of Black women using sex-positive and pleasure-centered framework. She's also an assistant professor in health promotion at the University of Kentucky with two degrees from University of North Carolina and a master's degree from Florida State University. In 2022, she was awarded Health Equity Changemaker Award and listed by BuzzFeed as one of the top 20 Black sexologists to follow. Fun fact that I'm going to a conference in a couple months and she is the keynote speaker. So she, guys, she's a big deal. Today we're going to talk about sexual self-consciousness. Most of us have felt it at some point. We're going to talk about how to overcome it. And then we're going to talk about the specific study that Dr. Thorpe co-authored about the peak of pleasure, Black women's definition and feeling towards sexual pleasure. Before we dive into our discussion, I want to take a moment to share a special offer from our sponsor, FirmTech. They offer a comfortable and effective ring that can enhance your sexual experiences. They sent me two samples. One was the tech ring, which I shared with you guys my experience about it last week. And they sent also a performance ring. So if you are looking something that's comfortable, effective, this is the product for you. This ring is something you worn around the base of the penis to help you maintain an erection or perhaps increase sensitivity during sexual activity. It will make your ejaculation more powerful. But to me, what differentiates firm tech cock ring apart from other cock ring is how comfortable it is. It's made with soft, stretchy material that fits most sizes. For our listeners, they are offering a 20% discount when you're using code MOALI20 at myfirmtech.com. Don't miss out on this opportunity to enhance your sexual experiences. And you can check out all of the information about them in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Thor. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Shamika Thorp on our show. Dr. Thorp, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited for our topic today. I know that many people want to be more adventurous in the bedroom, but the feeling of like a self-consciousness gets in their way of really for people to express themselves. So tell us, how do you define the sexual self-consciousness and how does it affect people? Yeah, so sexual self-consciousness has really been described as sexual embarrassment, but also sexual self-focus during sex. So a lot of times when people are in their head thinking about what their body might look like during sex, 
They may be having some experiences of sexual anxiety. They may be uncomfortable with just feeling like they could fully relax during sex. Those are the things that lead to sexual self-consciousness. So kind of just being unable to let go. That's such an important part of needing to experience pleasure, specifically when it comes to sexual experiences. As, as you mentioned, like many people have kind of awareness around like they have negative self-image or negative self-talk. I certainly see a lot of challenges with cisgender female that I work with around self-image. And part of it, unfortunately, it comes from the culture. But what are some of the recommendations you have for people who are interested to overcome this? Yes, I would definitely encourage people to look more into kind of mindfulness and meditations that they may be interested in. So taking a moment to even meditate before having sex, right? Obviously, that may take some planning. If you haven't planned sex, then maybe, you know, this may be harder to do if it's just like impromptu sex. But if it's a time that, you know, you're going to have sex or you know you're going to have sex later in the day, just practicing some meditation around that and being comfortable within your body, working on breathing techniques. I would even encourage journaling. I think that's a great option to work through some of that shame and guilt. So getting some journal prompts around, you know, why you feel the way you do about pleasure or around sexual intercourse, because there may be some guilt and shame that hasn't necessarily been worked through or even some things related to body image. And it could also be things related to even partners and partner safety that hasn't been explored. So taking the time to journal about that and also just do meditations and mindfulness can help kind of alleviate some of this self-consciousness. I love that. I think mindfulness is such a important and easy that can benefit, like help people benefit from, from kind of doing it from just like People can see benefit of like reducing stress, kind of experiencing more pleasure in the bedroom, increased desire. And I agree with you. Sometimes the challenges around self-consciousness comes from shame. And when we slow down, we notice the shame, shame shows up. I think it's helpful to kind of challenge some of those narratives around it when we're outside in the moment. But in the moment when people feel shit, kind of get hooked in this shame spiral, for example, the kind of the story of like good girls wouldn't like this kachinki thing, or it means like sex means this quote unquote things. What do you recommend people to do in the moment? Yeah, I think in the moment is good of focusing on your senses. So if you could take time to focus on your senses in that moment. So maybe if you're having partnered sex, focusing more on how your partner is touching you or what they are doing to you. I think those things can be helpful too, is just taking that moment to just focus on the different se- the senses. So whether it be touch or smell or sight, if you could take time to just, you know, maybe count to five and focus on those things, or that can kind of shift your mind from focusing so much on what's happening internally to focusing what's happening externally. I love that. And I think it's also helpful if people take a pause, like if it feels like there are kind of like in the shame spiral and they're just feeling disconnected. And now maybe it's helpful, as you mentioned, that for them to pause and kind of do a few breathing exercises or do more of a kind of sensual touching or a kind of change the position that that can be helpful. Or in general, of course, you want to have uh, be able to take break if necessary. And it's my experience that the more that you are kind of like changing the experiences that the quote unquote are not satisfying. I think that's that can be helpful for people for like desire level, for your relationship. 
and your self-confidence long term. What about the stories around people's body? As you mentioned, that sometimes it's like lots of self-image issues get in the way of people experiencing pleasure. Do you have any specific sex-related recommendation you have around that? Yeah, so I actually encourage people to do a lot of mirror work. I found that it'd be extremely helpful when I was having some issues related to like body image. And so actually just looking at yourself in the mirror, these are things that I've heard from, you know, sex therapists and counselors, but also like things that elders in my own family have told me. So I think it's just extremely helpful to sit there and to look at your body, you know, in the mirror. And if you're comfortable doing so fully nude, then doing that and, you know, just falling in love with your body and the imperfections that you may have or things that you may see as imperfections and starting to just, you know, recreate the narrative around your body and what it's doing for you on a daily basis. So I think those are the things that have been very helpful as well as just like taking a moment to like when you lotion yourself or when you're putting on like any type of scent, like to have the type of sensual moment with yourself and not just be like, oh, I'm getting dressed quick. Time to put on some like lotion or body oil and run out the house. But taking a moment to actually touch yourself and know what that feels like and embrace that. I love that kind of like this idea of kind of like cultivating body awareness. I I like the mirror work and I think can be very, very powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. As many of our listeners know, you're researchers and you have such a prolific CV. So one of the kind of like interesting studies that I, I saw that you recently published is around experience of sexual pleasure, specifically around Black women's experience. Can you tell us more about the finding of that study? Yeah, so that was a really cool study. It was called the Pain and Pleasure Study. And in that study, we actually looked at Black women's experiences of sexual pain and sexual pleasure. And so we asked Black women how do you describe sexual pleasure? So like, what does sexual pleasure feel like to you and how would you describe it? And we realized they were kind of describing it as a mountain, right? So we we called it Pleasure Mountain, where at this at the top of the mountain is the peak of pleasure. And so how do Black women get there if they're hiking this mountain? And so we saw at the bottom of the mountain, there's these kind of foundational components, which are mental components. So being fully present, there's also physical components that they felt within their body. And then there was also emotional components. So that feeling of joy and happiness that we often relate to sexual pleasure and non-sexual pleasure. And then as they were climbing the mountain, there were kind of these facilitators to get them to the top of the mountain. So these three tools that they had that got them to peak pleasure. And for that, it was mind, body, soul awareness. So being in tune with their own mind, their body and their soul during pleasure, but also their partner being in tune with their body and their needs and how their body responded during pleasures, especially during partner interactions. We also saw that a lot of them defined pleasure as liberating. So they felt that pleasure was just a liberating and freeing experience for them. Some people described it as kind of transcendent. We also saw that when they described pleasure, they were more likely to talk about pleasure from partner interactions than solo pleasure. And so having that partner interaction actually led them to peak pleasure. But the thing that they also added was orgasm. Since I think so often people expect orgasms to be the definition of sexual pleasure. But what we saw is for Black women, that wasn't the case, right? So people were having pleasurable experiences without orgasms. To them, pleasure wasn't defined by having orgasms. It was described more as, you know, feelings that they, you know, the feeling of liberation, the feeling 
of transcendence, the feeling of joy, and that mind-body-soul connection was more important to them. Such a fascinating study, and I love the kind of different component that you highlighted. So you talked about the partner attunement, like partner responsiveness. What were some of the things that people talked about when they were referring to that? Yeah, so they were really interested in how their partner was paying attention or very attentive to their body and their body's reactions. So for instance, if, you know, they were engaging in some type of new sexual position or something like that, just their partner being aware of how their body responded to that and also them being aware of their partner. So for some women, especially those that had other other female partners, they were more likely to receive pleasure from giving their partner pleasure. However, for women that were heterosexual or women that had male partners, they weren't likely to define pleasure by how often their partner was pleased because they kind of just seemed like there was an assumption that their partner was going to be pleased regardless, right? And so that's a, a cultural thing where we know that, you know, that exists. But I think that was the opportunity for women to kind of talk about how, for queer women to talk about how they pleasing their partner brought them pleasure. And so it was partner attunement, but it was also being able to please their partner as well. It's so interesting. I love that you looked at people who identify as queer and people who are kind of like heterosexual couple. I experienced with many of my heterosexual clients, female clients, cisgender ones, they are really invested in pleasing the partner, but that's not what, what you saw in this study where they were kind of assumed that their partner are kind of like uh, kind of experiencing pleasure. I think they assumed that their partner was experiencing pleasure. And I think also they, it's kind of like they were more focused on how do they ensure that they are. Kind of like feeling green would be the ones that would be slighted during sexual intercourse. They would be the ones that may not get the orgasm that they wanted. They would be the ones that may not get the pleasure that they wanted because their partner is automatically going to be pleased to, to them, right? That's what they believe. And so they were really focused on what brought them pleasure because their pleasure wasn't always guaranteed during sexual encounters. It's unfortunate that that's unfortunately kind of the orgasm gap in the heterosexual couples is, is huge. And I'm glad that you, you looked at the differences. Also, sometimes people kind of talk about how their kind of like goal oriented sexual experiences are. Like, as you mentioned, that like some people think about successful sexual encounter leads to orgasms. Hopefully both person kind of experience it at the same, at the same time. And if we're not there, then it hasn't been successful. But you say based on the study, some people said that's not the measurement that they use. What did they say about it? Yeah, I don't think, so that wasn't their measurement. Their measurement wasn't necessarily like orgasms or like goal attainment. It just seemed like they wanted more of this feeling of pleasure than anything. Um, and for them, that was the goal was to have that feeling. And I think that's good because we know sometimes with when people have goals, when they go into sexual encounters, it can kind of cervate sexual anxiety, but also sexual self-consciousness, right? Because what if I don't reach that goal of having an orgasm? Then is it something that I'm doing wrong? Is it something wrong with my body? What's happening? And so going in and not having that goal actually, you know, encourages people to have more pleasurable sex experiences, but also it can allow them to expand beyond traditional definitions of sexual intercourse and do what feels good to their body so they can achieve pleasure. I like that. And I think like sex can mean different things for people and pleasure can feel like and mean different things for people, which is really powerful. And something that at times I struggle with is the kind of 
helping my clients with having this balance. I, 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 I totally see what you're saying that time, especially in heterosexual couples that I see in my practice, sometimes women, they don't get all the touches, all the attention they would need to be able to experience orgasm. Of course, orgasm is something that a person experience, not something that someone else gives it to them. But cooperation is important. So I think that's that sometimes is missing. But I like this shift up, like let's focus on pleasure versus orgasm. What do you think about that balance? So I think that balance is hard. I think what I encourage people to do a lot of times is to do kind of like a checklist with their with their partners and to see like, hey, these are some things I'm interested in doing. Are you interested in these things? And so that can kind of boost their sexual pleasure because what we can see is that there may be similar behaviors or positions, kinks, whatever that they're interested in trying, but they never vocalized it to each other. And so that's an opportunity for them to, you know, boost pleasure in that way. I think also it's like we have to address the communication barrier that often exists. And so you may not feel comfortable telling your partner, hey, you know, touch me this way, this would feel better. I know in class recently we were talking about faking orgasms and why people do it. And the number one thing was to protect their partner's ego. And that's the same reason why people don't communicate about, you know, what is pleasurable to them is either because they don't know, they haven't taken the time to explore their body or they are trying to protect their partner and their partner's ego. And so kind of just working through that and figuring out the best and safest ways to have these conversations are important. I like that have this idea of being proactive about it, kind of talking about it with your partner. And of course, they have the option of saying yes or no to things. But sometimes we have this expectation that a partner, if they love us, they know what would work for us. Or we're thinking that like indirectly we're asking for things, but like in reality, the partner might not have any idea about what we like. I love the idea of soulfulness. That it's very interesting for research study. Tell us, tell us more about that. Yeah, so soulfulness. That's something that's come up a lot in, in research that we've done with Black communities. And so it's been interesting to see it not only in this study, but in the good sex study that was also published. And one thing that came out of that is kind of like having this passion and intimacy and connection and transcendence and euphoria of like good sex. And so it's kind of something that's deeper, that's felt on a soul and spiritual level for some people. We had some participants that described good sex as spiritual. And so for some people, that being connected to a higher power may be a spiritual practice. For some people, ma- masturbating is a spiritual practice and pleasure in general is a spiritual practice for them. And so I think that's something that we're seeing that is becoming more of a self-care practice, I would say, even in covid Like when we were doing interviews for the pain and pleasure study and even doing the survey, they were like, yeah, like I'm becoming more in tune with myself and what my needs are. And that is a self-care practice for me. And so my pleasure is a part of that and engaging in things that bring me sexual pleasure and exploring that. I realized that that's good for my soul. And, you know, it's a part of soul care, if we want to call it that. And so that's something that's really appearing in research more now. And so that's exciting to see. It would be something new that we explore more. That is fascinating. And it makes sense and makes makes it so much richer and more exciting, I can imagine, if you're connecting in multiple layers. And 
I, my, my listeners, I know I grew up in a conservative community and the idea was that sex and pleasure is, and religion doesn't go together. Like there's this very, very narrow of kind of like a window of like having sex in the marriage, like for the purpose of like procreation. And that's, that's what it is. So I'm always fascinated to hear when people incorporate their spirituality, their soulfulness into their sexual experiences. What do you think can help with that? I think part of that is working through the shame related to that. So like even in the pain and pleasure study, most of the participants were raised in the Bible Belt of the U.S., which is basically southern states of the United States. And what we saw is that a lot of them have worked through the shame and guilt that they had related to, you know, sex in general, especially premarital sex and masturbation that helped them see it as a, as a soul practice and a spiritual practice. I think also, you know, they've seen a lot of them referred to social media. So social media has its perks, right? And so in social media, they were saying that they were seeing that a lot of people were manifesting while they were masturbating and like manifesting when they were orgasming. And they were like, oh, I tried that. And it felt like I felt so connected to myself. And so I think that that's something that people could do as well. So, you know, social media has its pros and cons, but that's one of the pros of it. And I think also just taking a moment to... You know, kind of dissect, okay, what does spirituality mean to me? So not even religion, but on a spiritual level, what does spirituality mean to me? And how does my overall well-being, including my sexual well-being and sexual pleasure, align with that? Well, tell us how to, what can our listeners learn from this study? I know that it was a kind of like specific done in Black community, but I love all different elements of it that you guys studied and examined. So what are some of the take-home messages that that we can take in our life? Yeah, I, I think that some of the things that people can take home is the fact that sexual mindfulness is so important. And we're seeing that it's something that has traditionally not been included in Black communities as much in, in sex research, but it's definitely important. You know, taking that time for yourself, figuring out what's important, grounding yourself, and, you know, just reconnecting with your body and your sexual needs is something that can definitely help facilitate sexual pleasure. I think also, you know, just re-examining the way that we define sexual intercourse. That's one thing that definitely popped up in this study. So think about what does sex mean to you, right? Like, let's forget society's definition, but for yourself, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for your partners? And kind of examining that and, and being comfortable and open to talking talking about that with a partner. But I think most importantly, what I wanted to come out of this study is just normalizing that people have these experiences of sexual self-consciousness and sexual anxiety. People also have experiences of sexual pain and so you're not alone in that. And so there's always people that are willing, whether it be a sexual, a sex therapist, sex counselor, or other sexuality professional to talk to you, but just know that you're not alone in any of these feelings. These are things that other people are experiencing as well. Amazing. And other aspect that I found was very good that this kind of like identification of different components, because sometimes people have this kind of medical view of sex, right? Thinking about if you're not experiencing pleasure, maybe your hormones are off or maybe that we need to go to pelvic floor therapist. Again, all of those things could be possibly contributing factor. But I hear that there are, and people were talking about pleasure, they talked about relational component, a partner attunement, and also kind of that spiritual experience, soulful experience that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was a great time to just have people share their experiences 
but also to just see that there were so many similarities. And I think from this study, there was definitely a sigh of relief for some women because it was their first time talking about pleasure or pain, but also just knowing that other people in the community were experiencing the same thing because so often they felt alone in that. And I know mindfulness can kind of suit different emotions in people. Sometimes people feel like they're not able to do it. So what would be some kind of easy way for people that would like to kind of bring more mindfulness into their life that you recommend them to explore? Yeah, so I think there's definitely like short versions of mindfulness. So for example, sometimes I will go on like YouTube and find short mindfulness meditations that are helpful because sometimes you don't have 30 minutes or 15 minutes or sometimes it's just harder to connect to your body and kind of just focus and so maybe you only have that one minute so finding the time in your day for me that might be at the beginning of the day or maybe at the end of the day it just depends knowing what time frame works best for you I think is important because you don't want to necessarily force something that's not in your natural like rhythm that where you can take that space to kind of zone out and focus on yourself Um, So I think definitely finding shorter meditations could be helpful. I think also maybe reading. So if you love to read like I do, there's always books about meditation and mindfulness that you can read as well as, you know, just listening to other people talk about it as well. I love that. I I also encourage people to start with shorter period of time. I find it, it almost feels like running. I love running. And for most people, it's not achievable to wake up one day and do a half map or a marathon. So it's more about what can I do today? Maybe today I started three minutes or two minutes. And you mentioned there's so many great options online. And I know some people, they like kind of like seated meditation. Some people like the walking movement one. There is not necessarily a right way of doing it. It's just a matter of like choosing the way that can be a regular part of your experience that you can, something that you can commit. Because it's my experience that Change happens if you are consistent with mindfulness. Like I, I, I even notice in different chapters of my life when I'm more intentional with kind of dedicating time for my different parts of my life. I agree. Well, I know that many of our listeners want to learn more about you. I know you have like lots of research studies. You also have resources for people. You're active in social media. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So on my social media, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Shamika, S-H-E-M-E-K-A. And there I post resources related to research, but just also resources around pelvic floor therapy. My website is the same, drshamika.com. You'll see resources for pelvic floor therapy as well as books, as I mentioned. I love to read, so I'm always updating my book list. So any books related to sexual pleasure there, Black sexuality, as well as Black feminism. And then I also am recruiting for a study, but any studies that I am recruiting for are always on my social media as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing this important research. Thank you for coming on the show. I personally learned a lot, so I'm I'm sure that our listeners benefited from that. And thank you so much for your time. And thank you for having me. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on sexual self-consciousness. I hope you gained some valuable insights and wisdom to help you embrace your sexuality and become more comfortable with your body. Remember, it's essential to communicate openly with your partner, prioritize your pleasure, and create a safe space for exploration. Before we wrap up, I wanted to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Firm Tech, for making this episode possible. 
Firmtech is dedicated to creating products that promote enjoyable, satisfying sex for men of all ages. We used their performance ring, and I was so surprised about how comfortable it was, and that elevated my partner's experience as well. The pressure it creates helps to maintain erection and delay and enhance orgasm. If you're curious, you can check it out by going to myfirmtech.com, type only 20 to save 20% on your purchase and to show your support to us. Once again, thank you for joining us in today's discussion. We hope our conversation has shed some light on the importance of this topic and given you the tools to cultivate more positive and empowering experiences with your own sexuality. Until next time, take care and remember to stay open and true to yourself. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.